Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. Every once in a while, as dietitians, we get a challenge. We, and has this happened to you before, before you get like a diagnosis you've never heard of or a situation you've never heard of and you sort of think, uh-oh, what yeah. do I do now? Uh-huh. That's happened to me uh, recently, like in a year ago, and it was an off-the-wall thing. I've never heard of it before. I can't even recall what it is. You put me on the spot with that, but I just, yes, absolutely, that happens as a dietitian, and sometimes you're like, where do I go, but I've got to help this person. Right. Sometimes as dietitians, I will, I'll, I will refer out to an expert dietitian. You know, for example, you know, somebody who specializes in pediatrics or sports or whatever the need is. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, I have to take on the challenge because the patient needs to see me because of travel constraints or whatever. And so this happened to me two weeks ago. I received my first patient with alpha-gal syndrome. It sounds like a bad superhero. I know. It does. <laughs> superhero. But alpha-gal is what you might hear and maybe you've heard of as an allergy to meat. But there's a whole lot more to the story. So stay with us. Yes, we need to dig deep on what you were challenged with. I can't wait to learn more about this because this is not something that I've ever had to, to research. Uh, but before we do, we would like to first put out a medical disclaimer for tonight. Right. This podcast is for educational purposes. This does not take the place of you seeing a qualified allergist or other <laughs> physician or, again, working with a registered dietitian for your specific needs. This is, a, like I said, just kind of information about this condition. We are not uh, giving you medical advice about your particular situation. So starting with that. Sure. Always get a diagnosis first, too. Make sure exactly. that it's defined and that that is, in fact, your issue. And then we'd like to, just before we get into tonight, our previous podcast, we had on certified sports, certified sports dietitian. dietitian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Don Holmes. If you haven't listened to it, definitely give it a, a go. It We really did a deep dive down on nutrition in sports, nutrition in endurance athletes, and something that Amy and I were not an expert on, and we brought in our expert of, of my friend, Don Holmes, and I highly recommend listening to that. I was very pleased at how it turned out, and I thought her advice was just so solid. Yes. So after you've listened to, to today's podcast, go back. <laughs> Take a listen to that previous episode, especially if you're an athlete or have interest in physical activity. I think you'll get a lot out of it. I'm so pleased yes. with the way it turned out. And I told Dawn when we were done, she was on the hook to come back. Yes. Because I just thought her information was so fantastic. We will definitely have her back. There were some things that we talked about afterwards. We're like, we definitely need to have you back to talk about this with everyone. So right. we'll look forward to that. 
So let's dive into alpha gal syndrome. Like you said, you've never worked with it before. I had had some passing knowledge of it just by, I keep up on like nutrition trends and, sure. you know, read different things. And I had heard about this allergy to meat brought, brought on by tick bites. Now I had heard that. I had mm -hmm. heard that, but I had not heard of this alpha gal. You know, that, that is just completely new to me. Right. Uh, so alpha-gal syndrome is a recently identified type of food allergy to meat, but it's not quite that simple. It is something that is not just meat for some people. It can be any non-primate mammal. So when we talk about we talk about mammals that we would eat. We would talk about things like cow and pig and lamb. And even if you're into this, eating horse mm -hmm. um, or, or goat. Bison um, is popular um, here. Yes. Right. These are all mammal-derived meats that we eat. That's um, what I think is interesting. I didn't realize that there was a distinction with this because I've heard that before, that you should avoid right. meat, but it's not all meat. It's right. okay. Right. So we'll talk a little bit about what is safe to eat as we get through tonight. In the United States, the condition is brought on, we believe, by the bite of the Lone Star Tick. Okay. What we need to think, apparently, doing my research for this, is that the tick would have to bite that other mammal, bite that deer, or bite that cow, and then bite you. But what they have found now is that this particular sugar molecule called alpha-gal is present in tick saliva, which again, how they study tick saliva, right. I, <laughs> I am not a animal expert scientist. I'm like, how can you even tell? Like that's their little mouth and get their saliva. That's that microbiology, like, yes. No, wait, yeah. so are you saying that it it's in the tick saliva, but particularly it's only in the Lone Star tick saliva? So initially they thought it was just the Lone Star Tick. I okay. listened to a webinar on this a couple of weeks ago, and they are also saying it's possible that it could be in deer ticks. Um, oh. So it's not just necessarily in gotcha. Lone Star Tick. Okay. However, because it was first identified kind of in the South, at least the United States, that the Lone Star Tick is much more prevalent there, but the Lone Star Tick is moving north. Of course. <laughs> the client that I had, you know, was from the South. And she talked about having a lot of tick bites as a child. Mm. Um, just something you dealt with when you lived in the South. If you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. So what happens is the person gets bit by the tick. And this doesn't happen to everybody who gets bit by a Lone Star tick. Okay. But it That's... happens to certain people that get bit by the Lone Star, Lone Star tick. And how they figured this out was back in 2004. It's just a little bit of a very interesting history lesson here. Um, there was a cancer drug that did not get approval. It was from a company called Imclone. And if you remember Martha Stewart going yep. to prison, she actually, this was the company she was involved with insider trading what? in that okay. caused her to have to go to prison. Wow. Okay. But that's the whole side story of this. Sure. 
But what happened is that they were giving this particular drug to certain oncology patients, certain cancer patients, and some of these people were having life-threatening allergic reactions. Um, I believe mm. one person even passed away from their allergic reaction. Uh, wow. And so there was a question of like trying to figure out what was in this particular cancer drug that could be causing this life-threatening allergic reaction in some patients who received it. And what they found is that the cancer drug that was derived from some mammal or grown on some cell lines from mammals and figured out that that's what caused this drug to have that allergic, allergic reaction in certain people. Fascinating. Okay. So interestingly, also, this appears to have had reactions or people have had reactions in Australia for several decades. I don't know if they necessarily had identified it that is this particular kind of a tick-borne disease. You know, if you think about tick-borne diseases, we often think about Lyme disease as the most common one that you would think of, but alpha-gal syndrome is becoming more prevalent. Some estimates look like maybe around 30,000 people in the United States have it, so it's not very common. Right. But I also wonder if it's heavily underdiagnosed. Yeah. We'll see why is we getting to talking about the symptoms of it tonight that this could be missed in a lot of people yeah okay so let's talk about some of the symptoms of alpha gal syndrome so the symptoms can vary a lot okay anything from having an itchy rash maybe some hives if you think about a typical allergic reaction people can have upset stomach, they can have diarrhea, hmm. and they can have trouble breathing. They can have anaphylaxis, which is a very serious reaction. More than 90% of people can be diagnosed with this after reporting a history of delayed allergic reactions. So this is also very interesting and something that makes it very different from typical food allergies. Typical food allergies, so when you think about peanut allergies or tree nut allergies, happen almost immediately. Right. Somebody consumes a peanut on accident, and all of a sudden they're reacting. Right. We've all seen this particular allergic reaction is what they call a delayed onset reaction. Oh. And so reactions can occur anywhere between 3 and 10 hours after you've consumed the food. So it can be really hard for people to look back right. and think about what did I eat, I don't know, two meals ago right. that could have triggered this reaction. And so, that's scary, right? Because right. a lot of times with a peanut allergy, you realize it right away, so you stop eating the what you're eating. But if you're right. not reacting for hours, then the reaction could even be worse because you kept eating it. Right. right? Oh, gosh. And with alpha-gal syndrome, people don't always react every time. Ooh. And that also makes it different from other food allergies. Right. Other food allergies, one of the things about having a food allergy is that you react every time. Right. We've um, said that before. Yeah. It's called reproducible. Yeah. Alpha-gal, you don't react necessarily every time. And sometimes mm. I'll even see this on alpha-gal uh, information site. It's kind of like roulette that you might be fine the 10 times you eat the meat and the 11th time is when you get a reaction. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, this is, this is also very interesting that there are other cofactors 
that can raise your risk of having a reaction to meat. Uh, drinking alcohol while you eat meat, if you uh -huh. have alpha-gal syndrome, can cause a reaction. Exercising right after you eat can cause a reaction. Uh, taking NSAIDs, so things like Advil, can cause a reaction. Stress can cause a reaction. So this is just another interesting thing that we don't see with other food allergies. Right. With other food allergies, it's just the presence of that food, eating that food, consuming that food, and there you have your allergic reaction. Yeah. The alcohol syndrome has cofactors, is what they call, like they said, that have other things that can actually raise your risk of having a reaction. Fascinating. And you're saying not everybody has a reaction even every time. Right, right, right. So, wow. Yeah, so this can be very difficult for people because they say, well, I ate that burger last time, and sometimes people will take unnecessary chances because, well, I usually do fine with it. And right. maybe you do, and then sometimes you get unlucky. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, um, kind of the medical disclaimer for tonight, it's really important if you do have alpha-gal syndrome that you are following your doctor's instructions Mm -hmm. on your rescue medications, including an EpiPen, if they think that's appropriate, knowing what you're going to do if you have a reaction, not being unprepared for that, and realizing that that length of time can occur. Right. So you had dinner and then gone out with friends afterwards, and five hours after you ate had this reaction, you may not be prepared with your rescue medication or with your EpiPen. So it's really important, right. just like any other food allergy, that you're carrying your EpiPen with you at all times. It's incredibly important. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that. They don't carry their EpiPens, mm. and that can be very serious. Yeah. Wow. So how so, do you get diagnosed with this then? Right. So there's a, there's a blood test they can do mm -hmm. looking for the basically an IgE reaction to the alpha-gal molecule. And what happens is if they, you test above 0.1 international units per milliliter, and you don't have to remember that, of IgE to alpha-gal, you would be considered reactive to alpha-gal or have that reaction to alpha-gal. This is also where it gets very unusual. Often other food allergies are present from childhood. You know, kids with um, peanut allergy typically experience that fairly early in life. This particular allergy or reaction to food is an adult in onset. So people who have eaten meat their entire lives right. without any issues, no problems at all, Right. all of a sudden this develops. Because it's a triggered by the bite of the tick, which makes sense right. then. So potentially right. could kids get that if they had a tick bite? I, I believe that kids could get it, but it's, I think, more Pretty typically done in adults. Okay. Yes. Like I said, the reactions can be very different for other people, for many people. So again, it could be an upset stomach. And this is where I think a lot of people could chalk it up to other things. Sure. Well, I have an upset stomach because I'm intolerant to dairy, mm -hmm. realizing it may have been the hamburger you were having with the glass of milk, not the milk that is causing this upset stomach. So right. be aware of that as well. How we can tell that this is working well is if your symptoms are improving by avoiding the meat, 
or avoiding the mammalian meat. And I also thought it was interesting that this could be kind of like a hallmark from a larger than normal reaction to a tick bite. So, you know, mm-hmm. I've been bitten by ticks. I'm sure you have as well. We'll go over tick pre- prevention at the end of tonight's podcast because yep. that's the number way to one way to control this is just to not get bitten. Right. Right. So, you know, it could be a larger than normal reaction that you would have normally had to a tick bite could indicate that you could end up with a problem with this. Interesting. Um, okay. So how does one kind of manage this? And what kinds of things are they looking for to, to do to manage the, the alpha-gal syndrome? Right. So, of course, avoiding those particular trigger foods. Okay. Trying to avoid more tick bites because the more bites you get, that can actually increase your level of that IgE in your blood. Interestingly, uh, bee, wasp, and hornet stings can actually temporarily increase your, your levels of IgE, but those come down after several weeks. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Then realizing about those cofactors, as we've already talked about, that, you know, if you have alpha-gal syndrome, ideally you're not eating meat at all. But realizing that cofactors such as alcohol, lack of sleep, exercise, uh, NSAID use can aggravate your symptoms. Even um, when you're not eating the mammalian and like protein, oh, you have to. No, that's would be when you're having mammalian meat. Oh, so I do, okay. If you're not eating. If you are eating the meat and taking that risk, you can actually increase your risk by drinking alcohol or exercising right after. Got it. And like I said, carrying those rescue medications is important. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some question in some literature that talking about. You know, do pets need to be washed more often? Do people need to get rid of their pets? And at this point, there is no evidence to show that people need to get rid of their pets. Okay. They'll Um, be very grateful for that. Right. Right. Um, Or if you feel like, you know, that you are reacting to them, maybe washing them once, you know, once a month. Or Mm -hmm. if they're eating a beef-based dog food and you want to change that out to something from chicken, maybe that would be okay but it's not necessary to get rid of your pets. I will tell you because alpha-gal is so new and the emerging research is so emerging, I guess for lack of a better term, (laughs) you're gonna see a lot of stuff online if you have alpha-gal syndrome that can be somewhat alarming. Hmm. That was one of the things that I determined from my research here is that, boy, some people seem to have very severe reactions to what I would consider extremely minor contact. You know, wearing a leather belt or walking past fumes at a barbecue. Mm. And and I think the thing to remember is that that's likely happening in an incredibly small percentage of people and is not the common experience of most people with alpha-gal syndrome. Most people with alpha-gal syndrome can avoid meat and that's all they need to do. They don't become more extreme than that. Certainly, there are exceptions to everything. Work with your allergist if you don't feel like you're getting better mm-hmm. um, by avoiding meat. If there are other things that you need to avoid, but generally, people can do pretty well mm-hmm. by avoiding meat. Okay. Um, and like I said, we'll kind of get into how to do that here in a second. This is amazing research that you've done. This is great background. I mean, I'm fascinated by all of this. So, I guess now we get to like, what did you do with your client? What is the dietary management that you were 
you know, ended up having to talk through. Right. So the first thing we talked about is completely avoiding the meat of mammals. As we've discussed already this evening, that's beef, that's pork, that's lamb. So we think about pork, we think about bacon and then sausage. Um, Even things like turkey sausage and chicken sausage, because poultry's fine. Okay. But some of those things are in pork casings. So you need to look at the label to make sure that the casing that's holding the chicken and the sausage oh, is wow. not your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are, they're out there. Internal organs such as liver or kidneys, and I know people who do eat those, bison, buffalo, rabbit, horse, venison, and goat. And of course, we know um, where there are hunters, there's plenty of venison. It's very popular here in Ohio to eat venison. And so that's something you would need to avoid if you had alpha-gal. Just like alcohol, the higher fat the meat, the worse the reaction sometimes will be. So, you know, some people say, well, if you cook the meat, you do reduce the fat content. And that's true. When you cook meat, fat is, you can drain off. Right. But does not make that meat safe to eat. Yeah. There's still so fat there. Because, yeah. Right. But just because you are draining off the fat does not mean that that meat is somehow fine for you to have. Okay. As I mentioned, some people have reported reactions to fumes from cooking or a barbecue, but it does not appear that that's a hard and fast link. There haven't been blinded studies to show that people are having those reactions. Again, people can report them, and certainly I believe them when they think they're having that reaction, but I'm not sure that's the common experience for most people. Sure, Um, but probably good to be careful about it anyway. Right. Or, or be aware of it be again. Aware. If you're not getting better and you're doing your due diligence, you're avoiding meat pretty religiously, that's something to maybe look into. Gotcha. Um, lots of questions about dairy products because of course you're drinking cow's milk, you're right. drinking, yeah. you know, those types of things, you know, milk, cheese, most 80 to 90% of people with this per our best estimates and research do not react to dairy products, which is great. That is dairy great products. news. <laughs> You know how much Laura and I love dairy and how important we think dairy is. Dairy is very good. It's a good source of protein. It's a perfect source of calcium. There's other nutrients in it. So if you're not reacting to dairy, continue to eat dairy. You should do that. That's very important. Yeah. It can be another good source of protein. If you're limiting all your other protein sources, you're going to need other sources. Yeah. A couple of the recent things I read in the research is if you are reacting to dairy products, take out the high-fat dairy products first. So things like ice cream and cheese would oh. be the biggest possible <laughs> concerns. But you could go with, a, again, like a, a very low-fat ice cream. Sure. You know, you would be talking about high those higher-fat dairy products. Okay. Uh, there are hidden forms of alpha-gal that can happen with, you know, and things like certain medications, even some certain vaccines, Mm -hmm. it is not necessary to avoid those. Sometimes you might see like magnesium stearate or glycerin is not necessary to avoid those things unless you believe you're having reactions to them. This is also one more point about this particular allergy that makes it very interesting. In this, one of the studies that I read, a very strict avoidance could lead to more severe reactions. So over restricting yourself could lead to more severe reactions when you do come into contact with something that has alpha-gal in it. 
That's so, really interesting. Isn't that really interesting? Yeah, that was a study of 2,500 patients huh. um, that they felt like that that could actually increase your risk of a really severe reaction. So avoiding that meat is the first thing you want to do. If you're not getting better, maybe avoiding dairy. And then looking at those lower risk things, things like gelatin. We know that mm-hmm. comes from animals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's found in a lot of candy. It's found in marshmallows. It's found in candy corn. It's found in all yeah. those types <laughs> of things that we like to eat. But it is not necessary to avoid those things right off the bat. Gotcha. Um, and work, my, my patient, when she told me, she said, my, my doctor just told me to avoid meat. And that, that's a good place to start. Simplified in instruction, yes. Yeah. Um, she needed a little bit more help than that. Um, <laughs> but yes, that's very true. That that's that's where we start with this. We right. don't start, you know, being crazy and doing everything because, again, only a small percentage of people kind of progress where they might need that. Okay. So then we talk about cross contact, and when we talk about regular food allergies, normal food allergies, we talk about avoiding cross contact. So not sharing spatulas, not sharing cooking surfaces. From the research that I read, this is not necessarily an issue for most people. Okay. So sharing a spatula and cooking, let's say hamburgers and then sharing and then cooking grilled chicken along, you know, with it, it's not necessarily an issue. Okay. That's Um, good. There's some question about whether if something is organic or grass fed in terms of meat, is that a lower risk choice? The research that I read said that it's not necessarily a lower risk choice. Okay. Well, yeah, it's still the same. It's coming from a mammal. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Um, any food allergy, eating away from home is always a challenge. I think yeah. it's important to note that, you know, some fryers, you know, a lot of fryers use pure vegetable oil, but there are, us, are some things that are fried still in lard which mm-hmm. is an animal product. Um, right. There are things that are fried in beef tallow. Again, that's an animal product. So you'll always want to, if you have this, to inquire about those frying oils. If you're in the South and getting some good Southern cooking, <laughs> are they using lard in gravies and sauces and refried mm-hmm. beans and tortillas? Um, the one that was fascinating for me is that Jiffy Corn muff- Muffin Mix contains lard. Yeah, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> So those types of things that can kind of pop up on you. Sure. Um, and just, you know, unlike other food allergies, unlike peanut allergies and dairy allergies, manufacturers are not required to put contain statements for meat. Right. Because this is what considered one of the nine major food allergens. Mm-hmm. This is something different and they're not going to have a contains meat. So as a, person with alpha gal you have to be a bit more of a label detective yeah and try to figure out where things are coming from and it can make it really difficult and stressful yeah um, to read those labels you know my advice to my client was to talk about other sources of protein so eggs fine mm-hmm. anything what, what what had i read Fins and um, flippers. Fins and feathers. <laughs> Fins and feathers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So having chick- chicken, having you know turkey, having fish are all perfectly fine things to Cornish do. Cornish so game hen, if you want to be fancy. Yeah, not a protein-free diet. 
and you likely will not have difficulty getting the protein you need if right. you have alpha syndrome. Most of us, again, are eating way more protein than we need, so you're not going to have difficulty getting enough protein. Unless you uh, get we, bored uh, easily, right? <laughs> right. We talked, about, we talked about things like Beyond Burgers, and mm. those would be fine. So looking at some of those plant-based options, yeah. again, we live in a good time where <laughs> plant-based is a thing, and I'm hoping it will continue to be a thing. Yeah. Um, utilizing some of those Beyond Burgers, you know, if you're just kind of needing that taste of that meat mm-hmm. without necessarily putting yourself in danger. You know, using some of the nut-based beverages, the plant milks as we call them. Mm-hmm. So the you know, almond milk and soy milk are, are good choices for people with alpha-gal syndrome. Some people feel they react to carrageenan, which is kind of a thickener and an emulsifier we find in some, or stabilizer that we find in some things like some soy milk, some almond milks. Um, it gives some things kind of some texture that people like. Hmm. It is not From an animal, uh, carrageenan is made from red edible seaweed, but there is possibly some reaction that people can have to that. Again, 1% to 2% of people with alpha-gal syndrome react to that. That is not the common experience. So do not feel like you need to avoid carrageenan, gelatin right off the bat if you have alpha-gal. Gotcha. Only after you've tried the other things and you've avoided those and it's like it's still happening, that's when you need to do it. You don't need to do it unless, yeah, gotcha. Okay. And of course, you know, nothing else changes. Fruits and vegetables are still your friend. (laughs) Yes. Whole grains, you know, it's it's basically living life without red meat, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people do. Right. You know, yeah. There are cookbooks out there, you know, that, you know, kind of more vegetarian cookbooks. You don't mm-hmm. have to become a vegan. Right. And if you have upper gal syndrome, you can feel like that, but you don't have to become a vegan. Again, there are plenty of other places to get protein in your diet okay. without, you know, feeling like you have to, you know, give up if you're giving up everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot more flexible. Right. You know, I always think about stocks and bouillon cubes. Of course, that makes sense. So if you're mm-hmm. always using beef broth for things, you know, mm-hmm. switching to a chicken broth or a vegetable broth, mm-hmm. um, again, there are ways to make those allowances. Okay. And then there are some good resources. The best thing I found in researching this for my patient was an app called uh-huh. Fit, F-I-G. It is a free smartphone app that helps you to identify allergens using barcodes. And I'm not doing a commercial for them. They're not playing me. It's a free app, which is wonderful. But you can put in your particular alpha-gal reaction or other food allergies you might have, and we'll ask you what you're avoiding. You know, if you're avoiding just meat, or if you're avoiding meat and dairy, right. or meat and dairy and gelatin and everything, gotcha. um, you can put that into this app. And then when you go to the grocery store, you can scan the barcodes of certain foods, and it will show you what foods would be appropriate. If you have multiple food allergies and sensitivities, this may be a very helpful app for you. Absolutely. Some of it you have to sort of dig into. I, I noticed I kind of played around with it for gluten-free. Mm-hmm. And some of the stuff that they were citing that could contain gluten probably really doesn't. Okay. But, you know, what was really great is that you could manage those multiple food allergies. And like I said, if you're just kind of new to this, you're not sure how to read labels yet, that type of app can be very helpful. Okay. Um, 
There are other good information out there. Uh, the alphagalinformation.org is a patient-led website that had maybe some of the best information. Now it gets a little extreme. Again, they talk about sort of that you know, what to do first, and the thing they recommend to do first is, as we've talked about quite a bit tonight, giving up meat. Right. Then kind of gets into those other steps that you might have to take. So just, you know, again, reminder that that is patient-led. That has not been written, being written by physicians or allergists. There's also the 2AlphaGal uh, recipe and blog website. They have videos. They have a Facebook page. They even have a podcast now called <laughs> In, the, In the Tall Grass, which I thought was very clever. That's very clever. Um, so again, if you're dealing with this, looking for some patient support, looking for some ideas, the AlphaGal information um, also has a Facebook page um, associated with it. They have something called the AlphaGal Kitchen Facebook page. So there's some, again, social media that you can log on to to get some support. So like I said, dietitians, we get challenges. Yeah. And this was a good deep dive for me to figure out something to help this patient and I'm, as I told her, I'm learning alongside her. And I think that's okay to admit that you don't know everything as a dietitian, that sometimes you're learning alongside the person. And as I told her too, we're still learning about kind of the extent of this condition. Mm-hmm. And there isn't, just isn't a lot out there that is, you know, I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't find much of anything that mm. was dietitian authored. Um, it always worries me when dietitians are, you know, not authoring pieces, how accurate they are. Right. Um, so again, you know, that's something to be aware of as well. So when you get into this and you're doing a Google search, sometimes you can put yourself down a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. um, intended, um, that you don't <laughs> want to be in. So just, you know, kind of the kind of remembering that research shows that most people will do just fine by avoiding meat. And is this a lifetime avoidance of the the meat at that point then? That's a great question, and I don't think they know that answer. Okay. The one particular study I read that had 2,500 people in a registry found that avoidance over time, over several years, um, may lessen that reaction. Okay. In fact, that in that particular study, I believe it was 12% of their participants kind of became tolerant to meet again, but again, that is not something you should test on your own. Right. Just you're tolerant. Um, that's something to discuss with your allergist to see if your levels are appropriate to try something like that, and maybe in a controlled environment. Gotcha. So you have a reaction. That is, again, not something that you want to DIY. Right. Um, Don't do it until the doctor said, yes, your numbers are looking good. Let's try something. Gotcha. Okay. And we did want to finish up tonight because, of course, we know the lone star tick is the culprit. Yes. Uh, And I I said, I've been bitten by ticks. I know you've been bitten by ticks. I have. Let's just go over some basic tick bite prevention because, again, you don't get this unless you are bitten by a tick. Right. And, yes, and it's summer right now when we're recording this podcast in particular. And so I think it's a really good time to talk about this and reduce your risk of getting bitten by a tick is the best thing you can do. And we do see that ticks are most active during your warmer months, so anywhere between April to September. Uh, Of course, that depends on your area and where you're at, but you want to just pay attention if you're going to go outdoors, right? Know where you should be looking for ticks. They live in grassy, bushy, wooded areas. 
they can also be found on animals, so be careful if you come across an animal. Uh, so do be careful if you're out and about. Many people actually get tick bites in their own yard or and or neighborhood. So when you're walking through and you know, somebody's not mowing their lawn and <laughs> the grass is getting kind of big, you might find you're walking through some ticks. Uh, so one thing you can do also is if you know you're going to be in a woodsy area is treat your clothing and your gear. You want something that has permethrin permethrin which mm -hmm. and it's a solution of about 0.5 percent that can be used to treat clothing it actually can be remain protective throughout washing your clothes a few times so again also they make like this permethrin treated clothing and gear these days so well, you my, can my son actually and my uh, my uh his dad were treating their clothes prior to Boy Scout camp okay. and they kind of had to like spray them and let them dry and but to prevent that um, while they were at Boy Scout camp. Yeah fascinating. Uh, so basically another thing to look for is anything that's like EPA registered as an insect repellent of course your DEET and those types of things might be beneficial. We're going to provide you a link to uh, the CDC article here that talks about and gives you some suggestions on in like what to look for in repellents and everything like that. And so again, if you can, if you're on a trail, you want to try to stay in the center of the trail, you know, try to avoid wooded and bushy areas. And then of course, when you come in do inside, do check your clothing for ticks check yourself really good check not only your clothes but your pets and uh, if you can shower as soon as possible after being outdoors uh, showering within two hours has been shown to risk your risk of getting uh, Lyme disease and and then check your body for ticks after being outdoors so do a full body check if you can using a mirror if you need to if you're on your own looking under your arms in around your ears inside your belly button uh, the back of your knees in around your hair especially uh, between legs and around your waist those are kind of the primary spots that you want to check uh, as soon as possible right so um, you can work to wash your clothes when you come in yes you know, um, cold and medium temperature water, I thought this was interesting, will not kill ticks. So the hot water is better for those clothes. And again, the, the, this is a situation where, like everything, prevention is the best situation. Yes. So if you don't get bitten by the tick, you're not going to get alpha-gal syndrome. So the yes. idea is to avoid those tick bites. I know it's not possible for many people right. just by where they live or activities that they do. You know, it just happens and they're not doing anything wrong. Right. It just happens. But trying to, you know, at all possible, avoid that reaction, getting that tick off of you as soon as possible. Don't letting you know. Don't let it linger there, you know. And there is instructions on the CDC website on how to properly remove a tick if you see one. Mm -hmm. um, there's a technique to it because you don't want to leave half of the tick in you. Right. Um, you know, yeah. The whole thing out. So you know, again, we've all probably have removed a tick here and there in our lives. Right. Um, so again, you've you've been through this before, but you want to continue to prevent those tick bites. Mm-hmm. 
So right. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about my challenge. <laughs> this has um, been great. <laughs> Every, every every once in a while, I just get something. I think, gosh, I, d I don't know anything still. Yeah. It's just 20 years and I don't know anything. <laughs> well, so, yeah, or it changes too. So it's always good to stay up and right. good to challenge so yourself. Right. If you have alpha-gal syndrome, you know, follow your doctor's instructions. Very important to carry your medications. Avoid meat. Avoid more if you need to, but don't if you don't have to. Yes. Don't feel have to get really extreme and in fact it may not be helpful to be very extreme yeah it's of course hard on your quality of life as well if you're very extreme mm -hmm. you have alpha gal don't play roulette don't you know well i'll just try this this one time again you can end up you know getting yourself in trouble always have that rescue medication again i can't stress that enough yeah because the reactions are not immediate like you said if somebody was eating a peanut they would stop eating that particular food you know, right. somebody's eating something that is meat, mammalian, mammalian meat, they may not stop eating it because they don't realize they're going to react later. Right. That's so. what's scary about this for me. Yeah. Well, thanks for all the research you did on this. This was great. You're quite welcome. <laughs> so if you have more challenges for us as dietitians, we'd love to hear them. You can visit our website at secretliferd.com. You can drop us a question at dish at secretliferd.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the Secret Life Dietitians. And we will see you next time wherever you get your podcasts.